this is Base Layer, brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. Welcome back to Base Layer. This is David, and this is your new episode with Renee Rensberg, the co-founder of Cello. We've had Cello on before. Cello plans to create financial solutions for 5.6 billion smartphone owners around the world. And they are really focused on uh, cross-border payments. And there's some sort of a linkage. They have something called the Alliance for Prosperity that we talk a lot about and how it may uh, be, for those that are not as familiar and locked into this world, it may resonate as a bit of like Libra. And so we talked a little bit about that, um, how in this day and age with the United States uh, authorizing $2 trillion for uh, stimulus, and $1,200 apparently going to people that meet certain thresholds, how the digital dollar can be used to distribute the government's stimulus. Really interesting time to have that conversation uh, because there's been some problems apparently with the checks that are going to be going out. If you don't have wire uh, already transmission set up with the Fed, that you might have to wait two or three months for a check. And obviously, if you're in dire need, that's not going to help. And how can you know digital assets and how can projects like this actually help you and get that money immediately? And then we also obviously talked about COVID and how it's affecting uh, their community and what the work that they're doing and how busy they are with it. So this is a great conversation. Remember, nothing on Baselayer is investment advice. So please do your own research. And also remember that the thoughts and opinions here expressed are not necessarily reflective of those of ARCA and the team there. So uh, if you can, uh, reach back out if you have any questions. And hopefully you enjoy this episode. And on the flip side of this, you'll hear a great conversation with Renee Rensberg, the co-founder of Silla. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I have Renee Rensberg with me, the co-founder of Tiela with us. Uh, Renee, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you. Uh, we've had Taylor on the show before about six or seven months ago, so this is a great time to catch up. Really, really important work that you guys are doing there, um, kind of driven by purpose, if you will. And I know that one of the missions there is to build a financial system that creates the conditions for prosperity for everyone and something that is incredibly important in today's time as we are dealing with a new financial crisis here in the United States and obviously other countries around the world are dealing with the hardships associated with COVID. And so it's great to have you here. What we'd like to do on the show before we get too deep into what you're building there is a little bit about your background. I don't do the when Bitcoin or when blockchain moment, but what specifically in your time, and you have an, an illustrious career, you were an EIR at General Catalyst, you were at GoDaddy, uh, obviously a research and teaching assistant in MIT, for those that will look into your profile, you've done a lot. And so when, not necessarily when the Bitcoin moment was or when the blockchain moment was, but what about the underlying technology really resonated with you to build a project, a technological innovation in the space? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I um, so I grew up in East Germany, and so when the when the wall came down, um, things things changed. Right, currency suddenly had a very different meaning. 
um, you um, could buy things that you wanted versus, um, you know, things uh, in the East that, you know, you were maybe just dreaming of, but they were largely unavailable. And so from a very early age, I um, had sort of an appreciation for for different currencies and what, what currency kind of means in society. And I ended up being pretty heavily involved in, um, my parents were running a small business, a shoe store in my hometown and really learning about the business and realizing, um, you know, how much hard work it is. Um, but then also that there weren't really any good tools available. And so I started, um, I wrote some software for them to, to better run their store that ended up turning into my first company that I ran during college. And because of that, I didn't study physics or computer science, but ended up studying business and learned about this whole world out there and you know, consulting and investment banking and ended up joining Morgan Stanley in London, working in capital, global capital markets for a while. And that was, was fascinating. Um, but, you know, looking back now, when you're, um, when you're sort of in a big bank in London, you don't necessarily see how the global financial system um, has, uh, you know, challenges or has, has problems. And, you know, a real appreciation for that came when I, when I ended up spending um, some time living in uh, Latin America. So I, I lived and worked in, in Venezuela and Guatemala. And that gave me a very different appreciation for almost going back to sort of the days in East Germany, right, where you realize that, you know, there is kind of a big disconnect between um, the, what, um, what you want to do and what you can do. And, and so for me, that was kind of uh, a call to action to, to go back and, and, you know, be an entrepreneur again. And, and so I went to MIT and really got enamored with um, the work that Tim Berners-Lee was doing um, around linked data and the semantic web. And that's how I met my co-founders, um, Sepp and, and Merrick. Um, we started a company previously together called Loku American, I, uh, where the co-founders and Sepp was our first advisor and then later uh, board member. And there are a lot of parallels between, you know, sort of the semantic web days and now the, the blockchain world in terms of thinking around, thinking about, you know, things like, okay, how are these, what is what are sort of the underlying infrastructure for, uh, for data? Um, who um, has control to what, you know, how are these systems kind of growing in a responsible way? And and so when, you know, when we kind of, um, in a way like, yeah, you know, there's not really like a Bitcoin moment there, but I think just seeing that with sort of the advent of Bitcoin and Ethereum and, uh, and digital assets and, and smart contracts, you suddenly could, you know, extend or you know, treat currency um, like a technology. And that was something that conceptually was very powerful and, and exciting and interesting for us. Right. And something that I've brought up before, and it's a running narrative, is that what the internet did for the proliferation of information, the ability for email to send messages around the world in light speed to be able to connect with everyone, that is what you know, obviously this world of digital assets is trying to do for the entire world in terms of assets. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think when we were starting to you know, look at the space and, and, and start prototyping, building things and doing user research. One of the big areas that we've identified as an opportunity was to make this much more usable, right? And, and that ultimately 
you know, means uh, making sending money as simple as sending a text. And, you know, we have 5.6 billion people uh, or, or smartphone subscribers in the world. And, and yet access to um, financial um, products and services that you and I enjoy is, is lacking kind of, or is lagging far behind that number. And so very early on, we, we kind of realized that, look, if we can um, have these kind of these new uh, these new digital assets kind of run um, seamlessly or kind of you know be accessible seamlessly to people on smartphones that would really um, actually open up the potential that um, this technology holds and for us that that meant just doing a lot of work around okay how do we uh, improve the user experience around engaging with these digital assets how do we kind of improve um, some of the architecture um, that exists in the space today to uh, be more accessible um, uh, to mobile devices. And, and that's really been a big focus for us with Cello. And so for the person out there, the family office, the institutional investor that may not be as well-versed and might be kind of outside of this world and is starting to peek in, give them a one or two minute kind of brief description and try to make it, you know, to a sense where someone might not be as technically savvy as you or I don't really consider myself that savvy, but I've been doing this long enough where I understand these terminologies. Give them a brief primer on what Cello is trying to do and what it is. Yeah, absolutely. So the best way to think about Cello, it's really an open blockchain platform that can make financial tools and you know as accessible to anyone with a mobile phone. Uh, the mission here really is to um, have a pass towards a new financial system prosperity for everyone. And, you know, you brought up purpose. Um, Cello actually um, is the Esperanto word for purpose. Um, but, you know, for us, it's really not just about putting in place a better infrastructure, but looking kind of beyond that to what is the purpose? What do we want to achieve? And, and so because Cello is open source, you know, it can be leveraged to build a very rich ecosystem of mobile applications, right? And so you could see things like easier cash transfer programs. And I'm sure we'll talk about this in the context of the, the current COVID-19 crisis, peer-to-peer -peer lending, international remittances, um, people holding digital assets, um, you know, microinsurance. There's, there's a lot of like very uh, rich use cases that we uh, foresee that in a way, um, extend the the trajectory, the work that's been been happening, um, you know, around mobile money, which um, you know has brought a lot more financial access, but you know, is a lot less interoperable, and more expensive, um, and and doesn't have sort of this. It makes it easy to build these applications. And so there's a there's also a really fine marriage between TLO and border cross-border payments. And that's a big part of this, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah. And so maybe that's kind of the second point here, right? I think it's how do you make this uh, work um, on any mobile phone out there and how do you have an open architecture so that anyone in any market can build the right um, like applications to interact with that infrastructure. Um, but on top of that, we've also recognized that, you know, um, you know, Bitcoin um, as sort of the, the, the most visible kind of digital asset out there, um, obviously, you know, is volatile. And so in terms of, uh, you know, something that's used for payments, it's not all that, it's not all that useful, right? And so um, we, as part of the architecture, have a, a mechanism to uh, create digital uh, assets, digital currencies that are packed to real world currencies or really other benchmarks as well. So you can 
could foresee the creation of functional or local currencies down the road. Um, and that really means that you now have, um, if you take sort of the cello dollar as an example, right, you have um, a, um, a very you know, stable, secure, inexpensive way to, uh, to transfer uh, a digital asset um, you know, around the world, across borders, you know, if you're mentioning the remittance use case, but also as the basis for that um, very rich ecosystem of applications. And you know, we, um, you know, we all know there's kind of this, this we talk a lot about DeFi um, in, in our space, you know, decentralized finance. Um, I prefer the term open finance, but you know, what we're seeing so far really is you know, a lot of the the early users for for DeFi are people that are early adopters in the space that um, that you know have been early holding Bitcoin and ETH, and, mm-hmm. and we really want to help kind of push into the next phase where really anyone can benefit from these new products and services without necessarily having to understand what's you know like the, the whole architecture and you know um, how how Bitcoin works or how cryptocurrencies work. You know, I think ultimately it's about providing digital assets that um, people can trust and that can be used in, in new ways to, to make um, access to these products uh, more, more accessible. And so as we're experiencing here in the United States, we're, you know, a, a portion of our population is about to be effectively airdropped $1,200, $1, if I'm not mistaken. Um, whether that's going to be taxed or not, I, I haven't been able to determine. I've seen some notes that it might be, which is ludicrous. But um, effectively, a, a significant portion of the population here in the United States is about to be airdropped, um, you know, $1,200. And then there is some criticism lately that you basically have to have um, already a direct link, a, um, you know, basically a wire link to your bank to the Federal Reserve to be able to get that $1,200. And so is it not the case, especially in terms of in times of crisis, that something like a stable coin or something like a fiat-backed digital asset, is it is it not, you know, in your opinion, potentially a really critical time in the overall kind of space that we're dealing with right now for your work and the other work out there of some of the other stable coins? Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And, you know, I, I think... For the industry as a whole, this has been a really important time. You know, I think specifically to to Cello, we've been we've been thinking about this for the last two and a half years. We've been thinking about how do you, um, you know, how do you make cash transfers more efficient, better, faster, uh, more accessible in you know in places all around the world. And and now suddenly this debate is kind of happening in the U.S. Right, and it's happening in. In, in, in places where, quite frankly, we didn't see the biggest need for, for this technology, the, the biggest impact for this technology short term. Um, so it's exciting to see this debate happening in the US and in Europe. And even if you look at, um, you know, the, the, the debate about the digital dollar, but then also organizations like the World Bank kind of weighing in, um, you know, a lot of a lot of sort of the recommendations point to, yeah, you know, this needs to be something that can happen really fast. Um, tying it to mobile phones makes sense because a lot more people have mobile phones than, than bank accounts. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so, yeah, for us, it feels definitely like a validation of a lot of the things that we've worked towards and, and are believing in. Um, but I think there is an opportunity for the entire ecosystem to to really come together and and, and support the effort. So we've been you know extra busy these these past uh, two weeks, um, 
spending time engaging with lawmakers, with governments, uh, with central banks, not just here in the US, but also in other places where, you know, relief efforts are, are currently being discussed. And I think uh, it's it's a very, um, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a time where, you know, suddenly there's a lot more spotlight on, on the space because people realize, wow, this technology could actually uh, be so much better in terms of delivering this than uh, what we have available to ourselves today. Um, and so, yeah, we're, you know, I think we're, we're busier than ever. Right. Um, and, um, and certainly we're, we're early on in our journey, but we, we want to do as much as we can to, to contribute um, in terms of education and, and, and potentially supporting small programs um, to, to make sure that the aid and the relief payments can get to more people more easily and more cheaply. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important for people to actually, let's go through this. This is something that we didn't necessarily prepare for, but I think you can handle this and let, let's go through this. So the way that this would work is effectively those people that are, are going to be receiving receiving the stimulus uh, from the $2 trillion package that was just, I think, effectively signed into law today, they would have a digital wallet, a crypto wallet, if you will. Um, and then effectively the Federal Reserve could just airdrop that into that wallet uh, basically on-chain. And there could be a verification. Obviously, it's immutable. Everyone can see it um, depending on whatever type of – you know if they use proof of stake or if they use another type of consensus algorithm. And the user basically would have to have gone through some sort of a KYC AML process, meaning they would have to have some sort of an identifier, a, a photo ID, a driver's license to be able to go through that process. And that's basically it. Am I missing anything? No, you're, you're right. I mean, look, the, the, the challenge here is not so much the, um, well, there, there, there are a couple of operational challenges, but I think the biggest, the biggest hurdle is about correctly identifying um, who the money should go to, right? And what do you use as sort of the identifier? And um, I think the nice thing about systems that um, are based on, um, for example, phone numbers, right, as an identifier is that you have, um, you have kind of a, um, a mechanism to um, make sure you also include uh, people, for example, who don't have bank accounts, right? And so I'll give a cello specific example, but I think it's, it's a, applicable possibly more broadly. And, you know, I certainly, um, I, I see this as kind of a way where you could see multiple kind of mechanisms exist kind of, uh, or coexist, but with Cello, we're not, we're not tied to a specific, um, you know, uh, wallet provider or, uh, to a, to a specific carrier, right. But the, the phone number itself is the identifier. And so it doesn't matter what carrier you're on. Um, as long as there's a, um, a phone that's kind of tied to a household or to someone who kind of is eligible to receive um, the relief payment, um, they can receive that payment even if they don't have an active wallet. And so through the um, identity protocol on the platform, there's a mechanism that links uh, phone numbers to wallets. And so you even, you know, if I wanted to send you a payment right now, all I need is your phone number and then you have the ability to um, to verify, to kind of associate your phone number with the wallet and then claim that payment and then use it, cash out or, or buy something with it. And, and that's really powerful because you don't need to be already part of an existing system, have an account somewhere um, to, to receive a payment, but you, the payment can be pushed out uh, to an identifier that people can then opt in and, and claim. And so that's something that, you know, 
um, is very powerful. And we've, we spend a lot of time thinking about this in the context of, um, of really the kind of a global delivery mechanism, right? A lot of the organizations, um, you know, you may have seen the news about the Alliance for Prosperity, which brings together um, over 50 organizations right now in the, in the cello universe um, that are um, looking to, to cello infrastructure for implementing things like cash transfer programs. And you look to organizations that are part of the Alliance, like Give Directly or Mercy Corps, that are already successfully running uh, cash transfer and relief programs. And one of the biggest challenges um, that they face is, you know, really kind of uh, identifying um, and operationalizing, operationalizing that, that payment, um, right? And, you know, even in, in Africa where you have, for example, uh, strong kind of adoption of mobile money, now people are um, with different providers um, or they, um, you know, uh, there's not full coverage, right? So, so here really you're kind of abstracting, you're going kind of one level deeper, you're just saying, okay, as long as there's a phone number, you can basically send a payment. And I'd be remiss. I also, I want to ask you this question that I also want to see how the organization is obviously handling this new world and, you know, with COVID-19, I think we're addressing that, but a little more to get a sense of how you guys are all dealing with this and, some of the things that you're doing, obviously the Alliance for Prosperity is something that is something that is working on that. But I want to get a, a quick update, uh, if you could, on Baklava. First of all, I love the name and I am a big fan of Baklava. Um, and that's the food, obviously. Um, so this is your incentivized test net, you know, for people that are on the technical side, you know, can you give us any kind of update? How's it going? What's going on with that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as the folks who've been following us uh, probably know we we just wrapped up the the great cello stake off uh, which was um, you know a, a game that uh, really helped uh, validators um, get set up um, and and sort of showcase uh, their their skills um, on on running uh, validator nodes on the network and we were yeah just really happy to see a very strong engagement and um, making lots of good uh, good improvements to um, to the platform, and um, that really means that from a kind of launch of the platform, you know, launch of the network, launch of mainnet perspective, um, we're um, you know we're really excited because we have um, over a hundred uh, validators um, that have been uh, participating actively running validator nodes um, on Baklava, which is the testnet, um, and so right from um, day one, we'll have a strong um, degree of decentralization in terms of having a broad set of validators uh, participating and, and running the network. Um, so that's um, that's been really exciting to see. Um, we also we were the first uh, proof of stake network um, to do uh, security audits or offer security audits as part of um, you know this uh, this program, and it was it was just great to kind of see the, the level of professionalism and engagement um, from the various validator groups um, that, are, that are participating. So yeah, just amazing for me to see how, how far this community overall, um, you know, across other networks too has come in the last uh, year or two and um, well, actually really more like last year. Um, and um, it's exciting because I think really there's um, there's a lot of value in terms of um, having um, validators that have a very strong kind of professional setup uh, to support these net these various networks. Mm. Awesome. 
And so as everyone is getting their heads around this new world, um, people have called this a black swan event and people have obviously uh, been shaken from this. You know, how is, you know, Zello working in this new paradigm, this new world uh, as we're dealing with the global pandemic? Yeah, so you know, so for uh, C Labs, which is um, the um, one of the alliance members and sort of the entity that um, that I run and that's that's doing a lot of the development work for for Cello, for the Cello platform, um, we've already been working, you know, uh, to a large part, um, you know, across different time zones and continents. So we have offices in Berlin, in uh, San Francisco, and Buenos Aires, and, uh, and people working with us also from around the world uh, remotely. And so for us, the change uh, hasn't been as dramatic. Um, you know, certainly the water cooler conversation is not, is not happening the same way it used to in, in, in the offices, but um, I've, been, I've been really, you know, encouraged just to see how, how people have embraced this, this, what, what is kind of a new normal and are leaning in. And I think it's also part of just how much of the work that we're, that we're doing can actually be a part of the solution. Um, so everybody is, I feel like it's working, um, you know, even longer and harder right now to, uh, for us to get this out and, um, and be live with the network. So that's been, that's been great to see. Um, obviously the, you know, we're also, I just, right before this uh, record, we're recording this, um, we had an, an all hands um, with the team and we're, we're doing multiple of those uh, per week um, right now, just to kind of make sure we ask ourselves, hey, what, what can we do? You know, and this starts at the personal level, you know, how do you support, um, you know, your family, your community, what can we do at an organizational level? Um, you know, what are others doing? What can we, you know, just, there's this constant, um, challenge we put to ourselves. Like, you know, this is a very unique situation. Are we, are we, are we doing the right things? You know, what can we do better? Um, how can we, um, make sure that, um, we're our best selves right now. And, um, and, and so I think, and I've been just really happy with how the team has, um, has been reacting and, you know, it's a very unique time. And, you know, my, my expectation here is that, um, as a society, we're we're not really prepared um, to go to go through what's to come, and um, and so just having a lot of you know come extra communication and checking in with our community members. You know, we have if you look at the Alliance for Prosperity, it's over fifty organizations. Many of them are in um, in, in markets or in, in countries that don't have uh, a very strong kind of public health infrastructure, and and so also seeing, you know, how can we kind of, uh, support and, and, and make sure that we kind of, um, you know, really kind of come together as a community. So we're, you know, if you look, if you look at some of the Alliance members, there's, it's also interesting because some are actually directly involved in, in the relief efforts already. Um, and, you know, I mentioned give directly, uh, here it was doing, um, you know, work here in the U S, um, uh, on this, obviously, but there's also, you know, there's some of the smaller members. E-Solidar, for example, is an organization in Brazil that's working on relief efforts for Brazilian communities. And, and so it's, it's been really encouraging to, um, to also see, you know, how um, around the world uh, people are, um, and organizations are, are stepping up and, 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 and looking out for their communities and putting their, their communities first. 
I would agree a hundred percent on all that. And I'd also agree that there is going to be a paradigm shift in the, in society as a whole with when I saw China basically uh, taking back their fiat and trying to sanitize it. And to be quite honest with you, with everyone out there that's listening right now, the idea of holding a dollar bill or a $20 bill right now is disgusting to me. I can't even fathom it because obviously not only can COVID-19 be on it, but there's also a multitude of other things that are on it. I just think I'm personally done with fiat and hard cash. Um, I think a lot of other people are too. And I think what we saw obviously in the Asia Pacific region is that they've moved really heavily into digital and mobile. And we saw Alipay and WeChat obviously kind of taking the, the strides on that. And so I think this has also been an acceleration for general society as a whole, where we are moving to digital and mobile. And I think that fits very nicely into what you guys are doing there. So um, the last thing I'd like to... Can I what, just one thing to add? And, and this is kind of something that uh, it's not it's not immediately obvious, and you know I'm I'm obviously a big fan of um, of kind of going digital. One thing to really um, you know be be on the lookout for, be kind of mindful of, is that you know in a in a lot of places, a cash um, plays an important role, especially for people that are um, that are unbanked, right, or underbanked. Um, it's it's often you know the only way for them to actually go to the store and pay for stuff and. You, um, I think this is kind of where, um, where there has been so much debate about, you know, the the role crypto could play with unbanked populations, and um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit um, worried that um, for some of the possible kind of path into this digital world, right, there um, we're not kind of paying enough attention to what happens to people that are currently relying on cash because that's the only money that they have access to. And so I think crypto is, is really as a, as a kind of infrastructure, as an open infrastructure, um, can actually kind of make that transition in, a, in an inclusive uh, manner. And it requires kind of new ways of thinking about KYC and, and compliance. Um, but that's also one of the things that, you know, I think uh, we're looking at and, you know, that you don't necessarily have when you look at some of the more corporate run uh, projects because there the focus is much more on, on on big business, right? On how do we kind of move large amounts of money without necessarily thinking about the implications it can have for um, for kind of a, someone in a, in a smaller community. So just as a call out, because also like that's something that in, you know, obviously digitalization is awesome and it can bring a lot of benefits, but it needs to really go hand in hand with the the proper uh, regulatory kind of changes to make sure that that no one's left behind on that. I agree, and I think obviously with I think uh, in the range of over a billion people who don't have a driver's license or an identifier or a social security number, that's also another problem to deal with too. So very cognizant of that, and obviously the correlation between those people and the the underbanked or unbanked is obviously quite high too. And so lots to work on, but I congratulate you guys for putting your, you know, your foot forward onto that and taking, taking it, uh, to the, uh, to the world right there. So what I'd like to do before I wrap up with guests and you may or may not be prepared for that, but I hope you can obviously wing it. Nothing too serious, but there are two things that we typically put into our brain on a daily basis. And hopefully you've had some time if you are quarantined like the rest of us, where you might be reading. So anything that you've read recently, either a book or an article or something out there that really kind of resonated with you. And then music, what kind of music do you listen to? 
Nice. Um, well, let's start with music. Um, and I've, I've, uh, two kids and, um, they're one of their favorites, uh, favorite songs, um, for like a, a, a dance party in the living room is, uh, Maggie Rogers on and off. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, for whatever reason, they really love that one. And so it's, um, it's, um, you know, it's one way right now to get exercise when mm -hmm. we're not, not really able to go, um, outside, um, all that much yeah. and, and, and reading, you know, I, yeah, I, um, I will admit that, um, that's been, uh, a bit tougher, especially just given how, how busy things are right now, but mm -hmm. I do, um, um, let's see, like what's my, what's the, the last book I read, uh, was about, um, I don't know what I think about it. I mean, this is one, I don't know if others, if someone else has read, I picked it up in a bookstore, Dave Eggers. I, I like a lot of his stuff. And this one was about, um, you know, these kind of contractors who, who get sent out to build a, a road. Um, uh, I forget what's, what's the title. Um, I have to look it up, but, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was actually kind of, uh, it was an interesting read. Um, I won't, I won't give away the, the ending, but, um, it's, um, it definitely uh, definitely made for a page turner. So go pick it up if you if you like uh, his his books and haven't read it. There you go. And the last thing that we like to do is where can people find out more about Tillo and uh, possibly get in touch with you guys? Absolutely, yeah. So our website, cello.org, uh, um, that's the site for the foundation that has um, all the information about, um, you know, uh, the alliance, joining the alliance. If you know you run an organization or work in an organization that um, cares about, um, you know, financial inclusion and bringing this technology to, to solve real world problems. Uh, it also has information about our grant programs. There's a, there's an ecosystem fund that Polychain Capital runs for, um, startups that, um, want to get, uh, funding for, uh, projects they do kind of in the space. Uh, we have, uh, we're currently registrations open for a cello camp, uh, which is a really interesting kind of virtual bootcamp initiative, um, that's, that's going to kick off soon. That's, it's been getting quite a lot of interest and, uh, yeah, the website also has, you know, all the informations about the technology and, um, white papers for, for people who are interested in more, the more technical details, um, especially around the stability protocol it has a very detailed stability analysis and, um, and yeah, I think that's kind of the, that's a great starting point. We have otherwise, you know, a very active, uh, kind of community out there in discord and, um, always happy to, you know, um, I think, you know, when you, if you've met some of the other folks in the team, you'll know, we're, we're very, um, very happy to kind of, uh, connect and, and chat and, um, we're, we're definitely, um, a friendly bunch. So I encourage everyone, uh, who's interested to learn more or, um, or wants to kind of be involved in, in one, one form or another to, to reach out and get in touch with us. Awesome. So this was Renee Rensberg, co-founder at CLO. And Renee, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for the work you're doing. And hopefully we can be in touch in a few months in better terms and the world has healed and we can talk about all the fun stuff and the amazing things that you guys are doing. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thank you so much, David. And same to you. Yeah. Stay safe and healthy out there. <laughs>
Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on Baselayer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter. Arca at Arca or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space and the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, marketing commentary, videos, and more.